Welcome to the new episode of Walking the Talk. My name is Melissa and today I'm very excited and happy to welcome my guest, Bernardo Cavaglio, who is the founder and CEO of Oceano Fresco. Hello, Bernardo. Hi, Melissa. I'm so happy that we can make this work and that we're speaking today. Likewise, very excited. So, first of all, would you like to tell everyone what is Oceano Fresco doing? Oceano Fresco is a, a childish aquaculture company that is bringing uh, to the world uh, a sustainable food uh, alternative. We are growing clams, which is a um, very powerful yet small um, uh, animal which is tasty, uh, healthy, and sustainable. Uh, That sounds very interesting. Um, I've honestly never met any startup like yours because your startup is based on science, essentially. Yes, we are um, a, a science-based company, or we should say a science-driven company. We actually started as an R&D company, uh, and then we evolved into a production company, marketing and sales, in other words, into an integrative food company. But our approach and our vision stem from uh, a scientific perspective. I think that's very interesting. Also, because your background is actually not in science. You're a business person, just like me. <laughs> yes, uh, that's right. It's, um, many people ask me that question. How can you launch a science-based company when you're not a scientist? And, and um, it's, it's not easy to bridge these two worlds, science and business, which are often uh, with, uh, with their back to each other. My, my experience in bridging those two worlds was developed in, um, when I was working in a, in a plant breeding company um, in Switzerland, in Basel, called Syngenta. And uh, that's when I started uh, when I learned to talk to, to scientists, in that case, breeders. And I went to breeding stations, to agronomic stations, where I had to understand the, the scientific challenges uh, and then trans transform that into a business case and, uh, and then talk to the business side of the company. So that, by doing that for a few years, gave me the ability to understand both worlds and, and that was the seed that led to the creation of Oceano Fresco. Quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I completely feel you. I've, um, I've had the same experience when speaking with scientists rather than business people, because while we business people, we definitely have our own language as well that outsiders do not necessarily understand. But then scientists, it's, it's a completely different story. You have to learn their language and there are like uh, slang terms or way of communicating, which is completely different. Absolutely, it's it's the the language is just the, the symptom of of course of, of how the different mindset and, and and a different focus when looking at the same topic. And the challenge to me was to apart from overcoming the language to uh, understand enough of the science in order to be able to have a constructive conversation with the scientists. And then get into a business 
perspective, typically business case. Um, and, and that balance between going into understanding the content enough and just enough, it's very difficult to strike. It was, it was for me at least, initially. Did you ever feel intimidated because you knew, okay, this is not my domain. I'm not exactly sure what, what is enough, what is not enough, what is understandable and whatnot. Did that ever intimidate you about pursuing this path? Um, no, because I mean, maybe I was naive, but it did not. <laughs> maybe I was naive indeed, but it, I also, they didn't expect me to, to try to understand the science. So the expectations on, from the scientist side were that typically business people just want to talk about cash flows. Mm -hmm. The cost from the revenue impact and just summarize what you do in like three lines. I can put it on my template in my, in my presentation. And so I, I use that in my favor again, I guess, unconsciously. So this is retrospectively thinking. Uh, and I, I, I played just you as a rookie and I asked questions. I asked. Basically, I did like a scientist do. I was curious intellectually, and I, I asked questions. So, so um, how do you cross the, the, the two plant varieties? So, how what's a what's what's a field test? What is genotyping? Um, how do you cooperate with the teams around the world? I mean, how do you record the data? And they were very kind. The scientists were very kind to explain me. But of course, they love what they do there, so they like explaining. And then even some labs from the fields. Like, I remember going to a sunflower field where they were doing experiments with different varieties, where big sunflowers, small, like a bulky stem or very thin stem. Uh, and by just asking questions, understand more and more that I use that to, to improve the quality of, of the discussion and improve the quality of the work at that time. I guess they also felt there was a return for investing on me. I think that's a great approach to deal with that kind of situation. Honestly, I think I will try to incorporate that myself because I found myself quite a few times in situations where I had absolutely no idea about that topic that the other person was entering into the conversation. But then I actually get, I still get very nervous in that kind of situation because, you know, you, you don't want to, say something stupid but you also want to participate in the conversation you don't want to you know cut off the conversation just because you don't know the topic but it's it's very difficult if you've never experienced that before to handle it yes yes it is yes it, is. it of course helps if, if you do some if you spend some homework and you can, you can narrow the business approach to say okay presentation explain what you're doing so i can translate it into a business impact that's what business people are expecting. But if you, I mean, I, I sometimes did a lot of some homework about the science. So I surprised them with a few questions. Then, ha, huh, that opened the door. Um, I, I remember you told me before that you actually also went to a lot of conferences to meet people in this domain, right? Right, because that's another craziness of, of being an entrepreneur in my case doing something completely out of my field. So I'm not a scientist to start, and then I, number one, number two, uh, starting the business, business in agriculture, which I have no idea. I have never met anyone in agriculture. I have never been in any farm. I knew nothing about the, the, the topic. So um, that was my, my, my second challenge. And I was, and, and the easiest way I found at the time was to go to conferences. So I, I printed a business card and 
Bernardo Carvalho, Marine Biotech, and my contact details. I went to the conference and I started speaking with the people in the conference, which, which is not something I do naturally because I'm not a salesperson, I'm not a, I'm more of an introvert, but I, it was fun. Well, it's also fun to overcome our limitations. And I have met a lot of interesting people at the conference from many different uh, fields, which opened me the doors for other people. So that's that's when I started to understand what kind of species there are in agriculture, what kind of challenges. That's where I met people that led me then to find the first employed company employees. That's the core team that started the company later on. Um, it was it was basically my 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 door to the sector as the same way that company that I worked in Switzerland was my entry door into the world of science. I love the fact that you put uh, marine biotech on your business card because I know that like for a lot of people like buzzwords are also really important to identify with someone or with something and i'm pretty sure that sparked the interest of a lot of people as well to talk to you because they knew oh he's interested interested in this topic i should be talking to him <laughs> yes yes, yes. I <laughs> but so these conferences those you were attending already before officially creating oceano fresco right Oh yes, it took, um, it took like a year and a half of, um, of investments by, by my own before creating the company. First, I had to decide what what did I want to create. I I knew it agriculture was interesting because I was you know, I came with uh, I became in love or in innovative with the idea of feeding the world sustainably by playing with things by playing with what nature has created so this palette of genes in our DNA in RNA. from the best company in Switzerland I, I learned I got this idea and then I I um, I started thinking where can I use what I've learned through all this conversation to the scientists and it couldn't be or I didn't want it to be from um, from agri traditional agriculture because it has a lot of economies of scale experience and and other environmental issues. It wouldn't come from the terrestrial animals for the same reason. So if it's not from the earth, it has to come from the sea. And in the sea, we have thin fish already of scale, or there's some issues with, the, with animal welfare. And so I was left with the shellfish and algae, and algae is not very much in Europe uh, and North America yet. So shellfish was the, the choice. So then I um, I had to find a way of basically getting into into shellfish and getting into another sector for designing what the company objective would be. And that took me a year and a half of going to conferences, reading, listening to podcasts, of course. Um, well, I was I was exercising. I remember I was exercising. You know, listening always listening to podcasts about breeding and shellfish and ecology. And uh, I was at night. I was working as a consultant full time. And at night, I was sending emails to biologists, researchers, scientists, um, companies in within the agriculture field to to talk to as many people as possible, to, so that I could gain knowledge and understand what I wanted to do. So that was a big, big investment. Um, and if 
if you had seen me back then, you wouldn't know that I was building the foundations of the of what would become a startup because that work was just investment without any visible return. So it was, it was a, it is a, a, a marathon. It's not sweet to be a startup entrepreneur. Startup. It's, um, in my experience, especially in, in this field, which is biology takes time, it's more of a, a 400 kilometers marathon with values. This must be so hard and because it's such a complicated field. Um, like anything science related is it incorporates so many points that you simply cannot control and you have no idea what is going to happen. You can have the best plan in the world, but there are some things you you just don't know what is going to happen. Mm. Yes, you have to enjoy you have to enjoy um, or at least you have to be comfortable with and you have to be with um, failing, with asking questions, designing experiments, failing, and then understanding that it was not the team which failed, it was just the hypothesis, or sometimes the experience, experience which was not correct. Then we have to redraw the hypothesis and do another experiment or try in a different hypothesis with it in a different way, with a different kind of test. And, and that's normal, this trial and error. Is how science works. Oh, so the human needs to be comfortable with that, and also with the notion of um, long cycles. That there are some businesses which require a lot of time to build. It's not like going to a coordinator or some accelerator, and you have three months to develop a minimum viable product, and then buy some some advertising and see. Extraction from the clients. If you can get clients, it doesn't work like that. In some fields, especially in science and biology, it takes it takes time. It takes resilience. It takes you have to have this inner belief that what you're doing is, is right and worthwhile, so you can survive or or endure a, lo a long period of time without any visible outcome, without without any visible progress. It's a different type of entrepreneurship. It's not definitely the uh, um, go as fast as you can because you need you need to scale up super quickly and and fail fast. It's 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 not yeah. It's it's not the digital world. Definitely. So if if I sum this up, so you're in a field that's highly complex that you didn't understand at the beginning. You had to teach yourself all the things that matter. And it's super risky in the sense that there's so many things that you simply cannot control. So what is it that drives you and makes you believe that this is in fact going to work? Because otherwise I can't explain to myself why you're doing this. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't describe it as super risky. Uh, it's not, let me try it. It's not, um, it's not a binary business. Like um, so, it's not a super uh, a super fast business like like a digital world like we discussed before. But it's also also not a binary business like a new molecule new molecule in pharmaceutical, which basically goes through clinical trials and it either succeeds and it becomes a medicine, or it fails and it's discarded. So you have a lot of money at risk, which is either one or the other. In um, in aquaculture, in our business, 
it's a, it's the type of, of 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 business that has a lot of barriers to entry. Okay, so you need to overcome a lot of barriers to enter licensing, technology, uh, team, etc. Et financing, which takes which means and it takes a long time to set it up. But once it's set up, then um, it's bound to, to succeed, provided there's proper management and proper team in place. It's more than, as far as it's a marathon with barriers. It's not, um, it, if one puts the right effort and, you know, and gives the right and dedication the right amount of time and doesn't give up too early, it will succeed of, of, in some form. It might be a small success, but it's, it will succeed in some way. We are, we are having a mission and we want to succeed in, in a big way. So we've also, we're also building ways to scale up the company, but it's not um, high risk in the same of biotech or even mobile Absolutely. We don't follow the low grade numbers. So in mobile apps, there's a very small barrier to entry, which means that thousands of people, entrepreneurs, create new apps. But then only one in 10,000 will succeed, and only one in thousands will become a unique success. This is the opposite. Very few try, very few people can always come into the industry because the barriers are so high. So you have to be an Americanist. The flip side to high barriers of entry is, of course, if you have all the necessary, I don't know, arrangements and licenses and whatnot, the flip side is that it can also be a competitive advantage, right? So if you have it and the others don't, that gives you a competitive edge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it's, it's kind of cozy if you're in the sector, because I from new entrants compared to other sectors. Um, which means that the sector typically is more balanced, more uh, passive, more conservative, less advanced than other sectors which with their, which have lowered barriers to entry and are always being disrupted. It is a sector of long cycles, of uh, slow adoption of new technologies and approach, because they don't have to. They are kind of semi-protected from competition. Mm -hmm. From new competition. Um, I would like to take a step back uh, to before you started your entrepreneurial venture. How come you ended up in this field in the first place? So what made you, did you want to be an entrepreneur when you were younger or did that develop over time? How did that, that start? <laughs> yes, um, I, uh, it, it's kind of innate in me. I wanted to be an entrepreneur when I was young. So I remember... When I was 17 or 18, uh, I used to subscribe um, an entrepreneur, entrepreneurship magazine, and I used to read about entrepreneurs. Um, basically, I, I, basically, I like to prove that things that most people think they can be done can be done, and I'm also a builder. So when I was very young, I used to love to play with Legos. Uh, this I had this builder part side in myself. But I also have this kind of side of someone who wants to bring a new perspective, something new, something combine ideas in a different way to create something different. Um, and I think Oceano Fresco is 
the reflection of, of those two elements. Definitely. I completely agree. And actually, that's another thing then that we have in common. <laughs> because uh, when I was 16, about yeah, roughly 16, um, I was also starting... Oh, horrible English. I will try again. So when I was 16, I was inspired by all kinds of businesses that I saw. Um, and for some reason, this wish to create a company and to build it and make it grow stuck with me ever since. And that's the one thing that did not change over the years. A lot of things have changed. That has not changed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's when it's within us, sooner or later, that, that will become so big that we will do that. Your company is eventually we we do it and we we do that with examples and maybe do that. So I guess maybe in the future I'll be interviewing you. <laughs> Who knows? Raising entrepreneurs. I would be up for it. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. So this is the promise for the future. But nice. Yeah, but I, I I should say as well that I've 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 started companies before, so I've I did small businesses. When I was 18, even before then, when I was school, I was trying to always do some, some sort of businesses. But I, when I was 30, I think 30, 30, one or two, I started um, another real startup, so investment, education, etc., which went terribly bad. It was a disaster for me psychologically because I was so convinced that I, I was. And, and it took two years of experience, um, but it was it was a defining moment. And, and what I learned with that experience helped me, helped me a lot in, in the way I've been dealing with Oceano Fresco, I've been managing Oceano Fresco. How did the other experience shape you? Um, first, to accept that. Uh, happens even if one works like crazy and does everything within his power, his powers to succeed. So accepting that and learning how to deal with failure was very important. Second, I I also learned that techniques way that one should use to manage a company, like how, how to manage the cash, the company cash, um, how to mitigate the risk. Um, how to hire the right people, how to motivate them, um, and, uh, and, and, and thirdly, um, also how to, to be flexible about uh, decisions, about the course of the company as everything we develop. Because very often, the initial idea is not what ends up, ends up being developed or established. You need to adapt the business model. And, uh, it helps me to be aware for marketing um, and just, it doesn't need to be the initial idea, it needs to be what works. Yeah, that's something they always teach you in theory as well. Uh, they call it pivoting if necessary, so that you, you need to adapt. Like if you figure out, okay, the project that you thought you were going to do is actually not the product that the market wants, you need to be able to adapt to that. Um, but like there is a big difference between the, in theory explaining oh you need to be flexible but then in practice actually being flexible is a completely different story because also from a yeah from from you as a person it demands 
flexibility, and that can be very difficult, I think. <laughs> very, very easy. Being flexible is important, and it's also part of being learning how to be humble and, and understanding what's important in a startup, in any company, in fact, more so in a startup, but it's fragile, is at least the we that matters, not so much the entrepreneur idea or uh, some. Or some direction that he or she believes is, is, is right. What matters is the company succeeds, and to succeed needs to be the work of many people being able to many people. That's something I also learned. How do you feel about the fact that a lot of entrepreneurs are, well, or aspiring entrepreneurs are hesitating to talk about their ideas? Because they are afraid, most of the time they are afraid that if they tell somebody their idea that they might steal, steal it, which Well, I can't understand that very well. But how do you feel about that? Do you think that people should be more open because ultimately the idea itself doesn't matter? Or like, what do you think about that? So the, the idea, I think the idea is, is value. Now the, the risk of someone grabbing that idea and implementing it before the original person depends very much on the type of idea. So the idea you have as a fresco, it's, very difficult to replicate because of what I explained before, very bad a lot of time. Other ideas, which may be on the digital world, are much easier and faster to implement. Um, so, having said that, I think very often, um, ideas, the, the, the risk is, the risk of being, is being stolen are overwhelmed by the entrepreneur because it's, the execution that really matters. It's very easy to, to pitch great ideas. Not very easy, but it, it takes it, it takes much more effort and compared to much higher uh, effort to implement an idea than to pitch an idea. So I think there's there's a lot of value in uh, in entrepreneurs talking about their idea for so many people in order to to check if this idea is valid. To get the input to adjust the idea and then and prepare prepare the execution of the idea. So I would I would encourage entrepreneurs to talk about the idea to do to achieve these three objectives rather than stay secret and don't tell anyone believing that this your shares is this gem, that this diamond that uh, needs to be protected at all costs. I think you have a really good point there. Also, personally, I had the feeling a good, you know, like compromise between telling everything and not telling anything is to first start talking to people that you have a lot of faith in, a lot of trust in, and to tell them first, like especially people where you care about their feedback or their opinion on what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I feel like that helps. Uh, yeah, it does. It needs to be, of course, it, need, it needs to be, or it's better people that can give some constructive uh, feedback on the, on the idea itself, because it might be just family or friends who say, great idea, fantastic, you should, I think you should, you should do it. Sometimes they can say the opposite, but normally they try to be positive. And um, that can give us the wrong sense of um, a share as an entrepreneur, but the idea is, Well, um, it helps the people that 
Você não quer que você fique em mim, você vai pior, não? Mas, eu não sei se você está falando de saúde, de saúde, de saúde. E eu acho que você vai mudar para o mundo, e gradualmente para as pessoas que estão mais confortáveis. E a ideia, de certa forma, é que você pode ser mais crítico, porque eles não estão tão perto de você. Uh -huh, definitely. Also, the more often you tell your story or what you're trying to do, the more confidence you gain, and then it also gets easier to to be more open about everything that you're trying to do. Yes, yes, yes. that's a, that's a really good advice. Just yes, to talk to, to talk a lot about the story, to learn how to say the story and to pitch. In other words, it's um, it's really about practicing. And the more you do, the better you become. Mm -hmm. It's also the same when I pitch people the idea for my podcast about them being a guest on the podcast. It's it's exactly the same, even though the podcast is not well a startup like, but um, it's exactly the same. So I'm also very very nervous, and I was even more nervous in the beginning last year when I started, and then I did exactly this that I just told you. So I started with just like two or three people that. I knew they were not gonna be mean to me if they hate the idea, <laughs> but um, so I started with them, and then I increased the number of people I, I explained my my project to, and now it gets easier every time that I do it. Yeah, like when when you pitch the idea of a podcast to me, when you when you ask me if I want to participate, you seem very natural. Thank you. <laughs> then it's improving for sure, <laughs> but I I do improvise. It's it's. It's I don't know I always try to tell people the same so that it's consistent, but then again, it's different every single time. I don't know. <laughs> well, if you were just I guess you were just the potentially interview the new person and and also I guess your idea about your your own podcast evolves. Thank you. Having to do interviews in English, which is doing in German and. Thank you. It's definitely very exciting. Mm -hmm. um, now I forgot what I wanted to ask. We started talking about you, so tell me, tell me more about your how to reverse the interview. So tell me what you are Can you repeat the last question? I should tell you more about what? No, I was joking. I was joking. I was saying that now I should ask you questions. It reversed the interview. I should ask you. So, Melissa, tell me what you want to do in your career. <laughs> no. Why not? <laughs> uh, so, right now, uh, actually, this is a very uh, exciting time for the podcast, I think, because so this is the very first episode in English, and I hope that there will be many more next year well by the time this is public this is already next year um but um this is really exciting and also the website um is being redecorated and um to reflect this entire transition to the podcast format so i'm really excited about it and looking forward to how this is going to continue to develop looking forward to following you in and maybe and hear your your next I don't really have any more questions, I think. Um, but what I would still like to know from you is 
if you think of the next generation of founders or maybe other people that are like us that are dreaming about, you know, building their own company, do you have any other message or advice or just something that you want to pass on to them that they should know? This is a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would say um, my advice would be um, about how can an entrepreneur uh, minimize um, the levels of anxiety. And one of the levers to do that is, of course, through proper cash management. Um, and if there's, because if there's one thing that is very important for the entrepreneur to do well, is to manage the cash position of uh, his or her startup. So I, I, eat, I would advise founders, um, future entrepreneurs, to learn about, to manage, uh, and to forecast the cash, cash position of the company and to manage it very carefully because it's very easy to be in love with the product or service and focus all the efforts there and be completely trivial when the first clients come in. But so one needs to remember that. In order for all of that to happen, the company needs to be funded. So keeping an tight grip on the money, on the cash position, is crucial until, of course, we can slow break even. And that money takes some time, and money takes more time than one expected. So if there's one thing I would recommend for um, keep, keep an eye on, on, on the cash position. I think that is really good advice, very valuable advice for sure. Yeah, that, that, that's something I didn't know well my first time. I learned the hard way. Um, and the second, uh, the second advice would be about investing a lot in, in the initial team, in selecting the right people for the initial team. They make all the reasons in the world. Once the company has 50 employees, it's not as, uh, it's still very important, but it's not a make or break. When the company only has three, four, five, eight, ten people, the, the quality of people that one brings into the company can make all the difference. It can be the, the difference between failing or succeeding. So I, I would su suggest to, to um, do a thorough interview analysis. And then, on top of it, follow one one that so so listen to the gut feeling and 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 think is this person going to really going to fit in? Is this person the the right profile? He or, he, will he or she bring into the team and make the high high performance team? Uh, and that's a very personal decision, of course. But it's worth an interesting time reflection. That is also really good advice. It's something that cannot be stressed enough, I think, with, with early stage startups, um, getting the best people for the job. It's so important. It's, it's incredible. It's vital. I mean, you know, Facebook, that worked very well, and that's that made the company rich for the at the moment. And the other one, as I mentioned, didn't work well. So I can definitely see that practical consequences of doing it right or doing it wrong. I completely understand. 
Um, and I'm very happy that it did work out for you. And I hope that it will in the future, that you'll be very successful with, with the shellfish. Um, I'm really excited to follow your journey. Um, if any one of our listeners wants to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Is that, is that possible? Yes, of course. They can um, they can uh, send me an email to bernardo.carvalhos uh, on the first name, and then at oceano-friendschool.pt, or they can search me an email and send me a message. I will make sure to to put the links to your profiles uh, in the description box below the below the episode so that people can find you. Um, and yeah, the only thing that I can still say is thank you so very much for making the time. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Mm -hmm. That was mine, Melissa, and I'm, I'm honored to be the first uh, one of the first uh, English speaking interviews. I hope your podcast is uh, continues to be a success. Thank you. Well, then, um, thank you everyone for listening to the podcast episode. Uh, if you haven't already done so, make sure to hit the follow button so that you will be notified about all future podcast episodes. And I wish you all a lovely day. Bye.